So we all know the saying, to err is human. Now, I don't know about you, but I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I've made mistakes today. I've made mistakes yesterday. I know I'm going to make mistakes tomorrow. To err is human. It's okay to make mistakes as long as we learn from them. No matter what mistakes we may make, the worst mistake of all is not to try again. As we work our way through this chapter, there's going to be a lot of newness, a lot of new things happening here. And as we look at at these new things in this chapter, we need to remember that, that the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. It's a series of not starting over, but starting afresh. We don't have to go back to square one, but we have to wake up every day and that day focus on what the Lord has for us today. His mercies are new every morning. And I think there's a newness to that because every day we have to wake up and we have to decide if we are going to choose to live for ourselves or to live for him. Are we going to listen to us or are we going to listen to the Lord? Are we going to follow our plan or are we going to follow his? And in this chapter, the Israelites, they're going to learn a lot about the newness of what the Lord wants to do. I've titled the message tonight, Finding Rest in God's Victory. The last time we were, I was here, in, in chapter 7, the Israelites faced and they experienced their first and their only military defeat in the entire book of Joshua. And they experienced that defeat because they were looking at themselves and they were leaning on themselves. And there's a rest, there's a peace that comes with the Lord's victory, with God's victory. I've said this a few different times as we've gone through Joshua, that as Christians, as believers in Jesus, we do not have to fight for victory anymore. We have to live in victory. He has already won. Jesus has already won. And it's our responsibility to live, to exist in that victory, not to fight for it anymore. So let's start it off in verse 1. And yeah, I'm going to be pausing all throughout, so I'll read some, I'll pause, we'll talk about it. And we'll keep going. So verse 1. Now the Lord said to Joshua, again, it's a good indication already, it starts with the Lord. Now the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Right away we have a word of encouragement. The beginning of chapter 7 was, now the children of Israel, now they were going to do something. Here, now the Lord is going to do something. He has a message, he has a word of encouragement for Joshua. One of my favorite quotes, one of my favorite sayings, and, and the students that were with me over in Hungary at the Bible College, they're very well acquainted with it because I would say it often, that the regrets of the past and the fear of the future are the twin enemies of the soul. What do I mean by that? Well, we look back. We remember what we have done and we remember who we were before the Lord or outside of the Lord, and there's a regret. We regret the things that we have done We have regret over the person that we used to be. And we look ahead to the future, and there's a fear, am I going to repeat the same mistakes? Am I going to become that same person again? We have a regret of of our past, and we have a fear of our future. And especially we have this regret and this fear when it comes and accompanies our failures. 
We look ahead and we wonder whether there's any future for a person who has failed so foolishly or so miserably. Sometimes we might think, Lord, you don't know how bad I've messed up. I can't do this. I can't be this. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. And it's okay. Because the Lord meets us right away at the very beginning with a word of encouragement. We look back at chapter 7 and, and the sin of Achan. He coveted. He stole. There was envy within his heart. There was a longing and a desiring for things that the Lord said no to. And so he took things that he shouldn't have taken. And because of that action, he and his family were put to death. There was death as a result of his action. And maybe your actions haven't led to the death of someone physically, but maybe an emotional or spiritual death has creeped in because of actions in our, in our life, in your life. And sometimes it's the most difficult thing to regain lost ground when we look at sin like that. When we fail, not if we fail, but when we fail in our life as believers, we need to learn, we need to know how to get back on track. The answer is, well, in this first part of verse 1, the answer to our discouragement and fear is hearing and believing what the Lord says. He's saying, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Dismayed is kind of an unexpected anxiety this kind of unexplicable fear of what's going on or what might happen, this, you know, this discouragement, this despondency, this, you know, being dismayed. Not being afraid, not being discouraged, that's the very first key to regaining victory. The Israelites here, they had to receive an encouragement from the Lord. Though Israel stumbled through Achan's sin, they dealt with a failure, and now they have to move on. Achan messed up. It's a fact. They had to deal with that sin. They had to rectify that sin before the Lord. And now, instead of dwelling in the past, now they have to move ahead. What is past is past. We must deal with it before the Lord. We must deal with it through repentance, through asking of forgiveness. Repentance is, that, is a military term. term. It means an about-face to repent means I'm going in one direction and then I, I turn around and I walk the other direction. And the key with repentance is in that, in that about face at 180, if I'm going in one direction and I repent and I turn around, my back is to it and I don't even recognize what's going on behind me anymore. It's not even in my field of vision. It's gone. We have to die to ourselves. We have to be humble enough to say, I was wrong. I messed up. I sinned. I didn't just sin against myself. I didn't just sin against my family. I didn't just sin against the church. I sinned against the Lord himself. And then we have to look forward to what he has for us now. Because he has something new for us even today, even tonight. The Lord still has something new for each of us today. God wants us to to know that he wants to use our, our failures in a way that builds a foundation of victory in our life. Continuing in verse 1, he says, that the, uh, yeah, verse 1 says this, Take all the people of war with you, arise and go to Ai. Stop. <laughs> we have a word of instruction. 
God always has a plan for his people to follow. And the only way for us to have any level of victory is to obey that plan, is to obey, obey the instructions. In the first attack of Ai, Joshua followed the advice of, the, of his spies, of the men. And he only used a part of the army. But here, God is saying what? Take all the people of war and go to Ai. So there's a new instruction. There's a new battle plan that's going to be made. God wasn't despondent. He wasn't depressed. He wasn't downcast. And he didn't want Joshua or the nation to be so either. Now, it was time to get busy and to get about experiencing that victory once again in the Lord. We're going to learn that this new battle plan involves an ambush. When it comes to tactics, this is a great chapter. It's kind of exciting. It's one of those fun chapters to kind of, you know, portray with, you know, I think of a little boy, I think of my sons. It's like, get out the army men and let's actually build this because it's a really cool battle plan. We're going to get into it more. But the Lord is going to use and tell Joshua to use an ambush and to take advantage of AI's self-confidence. We're going to see that God is going to give permission to the Israelites to take the spoils of war. Here's what really gets me about this chapter. If Achan had waited about 48 hours, two days, he could have taken as much spoil, as much treasure as he could have carried. Yet he couldn't wait. He couldn't deny himself. He couldn't rest in what the Lord had said. And so instead of experiencing victory, he experienced the, the, the final defeat and the defeat of death. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. You want the best things in life? Leave the decision-making power in the hands of the Lord. Let God make the decision, and then you live it out, and you will experience the best that this life could ever give because it's coming from the best thing this world has ever seen, the Lord. When we run ahead of the Lord, we usually rob ourselves and we hurt other people. The worst thing we can do as believers in Jesus, as Christians, is to kind of get onto the spiritual autopilot. I've been doing this for a while. I understand the routines. I understand the motions. I understand the text. I understand enough that I can just be. And we, we become spiritualized versions of our own flesh. We become spiritualized versions of, in a sense, sin. Because we're no longer being submitted to the hand of the Lord. We're just listening to ourselves. And we end up hurting ourselves and we end up hurting others. The end of verse 1. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Once again, we have a renewal of a promise. If you remember with me back to the story of Jericho, how many times it said, I have done this, I have given. With Rahab, I have done this, it's already done. Chapter 3. As they crossed over the Jordan, the Lord is already speaking in past tense. I have given was God's promise regarding Jericho. And it was Joshua's guarantee of victory. 
as long as he obeyed the instructions of the Lord. And I can tell you one thing for, for, for fact, for certain. God has never made a promise that was too good to be true, ever. Sometimes we look at some of the promises of the Lord in, in the Bible and we're like, man, Lord, this is amazing. This is way too good to be true. It's not, because it comes from him. And if it comes from him, you can bet it's going to come true. Because Israel acted presumptuously in their first attack against Ai, they failed miserably. The promises of God make the difference between faith and presumption. Presumption says, I understand and I can do. Faith says, I understand, I believe, and I'll wait. I cannot express to you enough the importance of the believer, of the Christian, of the person that, that claims Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, of spending time daily in the Word of God every day. Ephesians 6 refers to the Word, to the Bible, as the sword of the Spirit. And unless we daily take up this sword, we will go into battle unarmed. And therefore, we will go in unprepared. And if we go into battle unarmed and, and unprepared, we will be defeated. People who are spiritually minded, believers who are spiritually minded, they experience victory because they've allowed the word of God to saturate their minds. It reminds me of uh, Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? And then in verse 11, it says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's that saturation. It's not just looking at this as a textbook, but looking at this as, as not even a roadmap to life, but looking at this, this is how I understand the way that God wants me to live today. I understand his heart for myself, for my wife, for my kids, for my neighbors, my family, the loved ones in my life, the lost ones in my life. I understand his heart about all of those people. I understand his heart on how to deal with things like the enemy, Satan, and spiritual warfare. It equips me to live a life that is pleasing to him. No matter how badly we have failed, we can always get up and begin again and again and again. Our God is a God of new beginnings. Verse 2 says this, And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. So he's laying it out right here. The same thing that you did to Jericho, you're going to do here. Well, if you remember, what did they do to Jericho? They utterly destroyed everyone and they burned the city with fire. We're getting a spoiler alert at the, for what the end of the chapter is going to bring. It's going to be the complete destruction of Ai. However, this time, the spoil of the city and the livestock, it's free to take. They've already given that, that first fruit. They've already given that tithe. They've already given unto the Lord the spoils of their first battle. And now the Lord is saying, you could take what you want. Again, if Achan could have just waited, this would have been fulfilled in his life. 
So we're going to, we kind of have a, a, a new beginning to all of this. And now we're going to see in the next, we're, I'm going to read through a chunk because it is a, a one big thought and then we're going to break it down. There's, there's a new approach to AI. It's a different approach than how the Israelites faced Jericho. And there's a reason behind that. So verses 3 to 13 you can go ahead and read along. The verses will pop up on the screen, and then we'll, we'll walk our way through it, and we'll break it down. So Joshua arose, and all the people of war, to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and it will come about when they come out against us at the first, and we shall flee before them. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city, for they will say they are fleeing, they are running away, just like they did before. Therefore we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from ambush, and you will seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And then you shall rise from the ambush, seize the city. And it will be, when you have taken the city, that you shall set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I have commanded you. Joshua, therefore, sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush. And he stayed between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. And Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people of Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near. And they came before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai. And now a valley laid in between them and Ai. So he took about 5,000 men, and he set them in an ambush between Bethel, Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. So we have this new strategy. We need to understand something about the Lord first. God is not only a God of new beginnings, but he's also one of very infinite variety of lots of different possibilities. God changes as leaders so that we don't start trusting in flesh and blood. He changes his methods so that we don't start depending on our personal experience instead of his divine promises and providence. The strategy that God gave Joshua for taking Ai was almost completely opposite the strategy he used at Jericho. With Jericho, it involved a, a week of marches that were carried out openly in, in the daylight. The attack on Ai, it involved a covert nighttime operation that prepared the way for a daylight assault. The whole army was united at Jericho, but here Joshua is going to divide the army up into three different groups for the attack on Ai. At Jericho, the mighty miracle was these massive walls. Remember, they were... 10 to 15 feet thick, 30 to 40 feet high. They were double-walled, and God called the, caused them to collapse down. It was a mighty miracle. Here, nope. 
It was going to be a conventional battle, conventional warfare here. Joshua and his men, they simply obeyed God's instructions by setting an ambush, by luring the people of Ai out, and the Lord gave them victory. It's completely important and very, it's, it, I'm very sincere in that every time we, we seek the Lord, it needs to be from a new set of eyes, a new perspective. We can't hold on to it. It's called, in the Bible, it's, it's a, a phrase that says old wineskins. We can't use what was as what is. Today's got to be a fresh day where we say, Lord, today what do you want to do? I know what you did yesterday, and that was awesome. That was great. But today what do you want to do? And not look at yesterday and say, okay, I understand what the Lord did yesterday. I get it. So we're just going to do the same thing today, a little copy-paste action, and we'll be good to go because he did it then. He can do it now. Every day we got to ask him, Lord, what do you want for us today? This strategy for Israel was based on their previous defeat. God was organizing a victory out of Joshua's mistakes. He wanted Joshua to once again find rest in him. Joshua wanted, God wanted Joshua to find rest in God instead of Joshua finding rest in his own abilities and in his men. The people of Ai, they were overconfident because they defeated Israel at that first attack. And this overconfidence, it would be their undoing. It would be their defeat. How many of us can look at life and say, oh, we've done it before. We can do it again. How many of us have tried that? Doesn't always work out, does it? So at night, Joshua and his army, they marched 15 miles from Gilgal to Ai. And he sent 30,000 mighty men of valor to set an ambush on the city from the west. This time, Joshua is not sending 3,000 men like he did in chapter 7. Instead, he's sending 30,000 men to go lie in wait in ambush. That's a lot of people to hide. It's a lot of people to be covered, to be in ambush. 30,000 men. When we want to find rest in God's victory, we have to utilize every resource that we have available. We have to use the best resources we have available. So Joshua takes another 5,000 men and puts it behind the city between Ai and Bethel to make sure that no other armies, that nobody else comes in and opens up a secondary front against them. There's that protective barrier. As the Lord is, is speaking to Joshua and this battle plan is coming to fruition, there's no open spots at all. There's no opportunity for, for the enemy to creep in. And when we look at our lives as believers, we need to understand that as much as this is a practical thing, that's a spiritual thing for us. If we allow the Lord to put the pieces in place, he will make sure that there is no opportunity for the enemy to sneak in. He'll close off every opportunity of ambush, of being blindsided. But if we're putting the pieces together, if we're trying to set ourselves up, we'll be exposed. And through his obedience, Joshua made sure, through obeying the Lord, that they were not exposed at all. It was a very simple plan, but a highly effective plan. And I've learned that over my, over my, my years walking with the Lord and living for him, that his plans are not overly complicated. They are very simple, yet we complicate them.
the simplistic heart of the Lord is very simple. You know, we look at the life of Jesus, and what was Jesus all about? He was about the Father's business. It's a simple way to live life, being about the Father's business. Lord, what do you want from me today? What's going on today? What are we doing? What do you need from me? We really complicate how that has lived out, though. Well, Lord, I'm pretty busy today. I got a lot on my schedule. Yeah, I didn't even get time to read the Word, but it's okay. I'll listen to a podcast. That's fine. No, 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 wait. Stop complicating it and live simplistically for the Lord. It's a simple gospel. It's a life for a life. The Lord laid down his life and he gave you his life and all he asks in return is your life. It's a simple request. Yet we complicate how that's lived out. Joshua that night, he lodged with the people. He was with the people in the valley that night. He was especially near his people during this time of trying to regain victory, of trying to find that rest again in the Lord's victory. The people needed to know that he was nearer, that he was with them. They needed to follow his example, to follow his leadership. He certainly encouraged them to trust the Lord, and he believed the promise of victory. I don't know if you'll remember, but back in chapter 5, we see the captain of the host of the army of the Lord show up on scene. It was an experience where, where Joshua met face to face with Jesus, with the Lord. And if we want to regain, if we want to experience again that victory of, in our life, that rest in the Lord's victory, we must live and follow Jesus. He is our Joshua. Joshua is an Old Testament example of, of Jesus. Someone that is going to save or, or redeem the people. Jesus is our redeemer. He is our savior. He is always near to us at the most crucial times of our life. And he will always go first and lead us into battle. Always. It says, all the people, all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near. If Israel was going to have victory once again, they had to take the offensive. They don't wait for Ai to bring the fight to them, but they bring the fight to Ai. When we look at the battle of sin, we usually have a, a more of a negative discussion or a negative terminology about it. What not to do? How do we avoid sin? No, no, let's turn that on its head. How do you attack sin? How do you bring the battle to the enemy? How do you go on the offensive so that sin never has a chance to even come at you in life? We must be busy about doing what the Lord would have us do, and that is how we take the fight to sin. If we are constantly listening, obeying, and doing what the Lord says, does sin ever have a chance to enter in, to even raise its hand, to have a voice? No. We have to be offensive when it comes to our response to sin. We have to take the fight to our sin. Verses 14 to 17, we're going to see now, again, this is going to be a different type of victory. Verses 14 to 17. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. He, the king of Ai, and all his people, 
at an appointed place before the plain, but he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all of Israel made as if they were beaten before them, and they fled by way of the wilderness. So just exactly what Joshua said, the men of Ai came out of the city, and Joshua and his group of men, they ran away. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to, to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they, they left the city wide open and pursued Israel. So Ai is completely emptied here. When morning dawned, the king of Ai, he saw the army of Israel positioned before the city and they were ready to attack. The men of Ai tried the exact same strategy as before when they had beaten Israel. And generally, Satan, our enemy, our adversary, he will stick with a strategy against us until it stops working. I know there are those of you that, that are watching, that are listening, that have dealt with sin in your life. Maybe you had to deal with the same sin over and over and over again. But as soon as you were able to cut that off and experience the victory of the Lord over that sin, it's almost like the enemy gave up and he went away. He's going to try doing the same thing over and over and over to you as long as he has victory. As long as it works, why change it? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And he knows that. Confident of victory, the king of Ai led his men out of the city against the Jews. We are always in the most danger when we are least aware of it. We are always in the most danger when we are least aware. Always. Joshua and his men, they began to flee. And this gave the men of Ai even a bigger, a stronger assurance that they were going to win. Now, if you, if you, you know, remember right there in verse 17, the men of Bethel, they were also involved in the attack. No details were given. We don't know... If they showed up right, you know, we don't know why they were there exactly. We know that there was 5,000 men between Bethel and Ai to protect any men from coming in. But verse 17 says that the men of Bethel were already there. Whether they were already in Ai or they arrived just in time, again, we don't know. But their participation, it led to the defeat of their city as well. It was careless of the people of Ai to leave their city undefended. Self-confidence, though, will do that. You might look at your own self, your city. You might leave yourself completely undefended because you think you're okay. And as soon as you think you're okay, it's when the enemy shows up. It's when that, de that, that supposed de defense automatically falls. God directed Joshua to use a completely different strategy against Ai. God's strategy against Jericho, silently march around once a day for six days, and then on the seventh, march around a number of times, and yell, blow trumpets, and watch the walls come down. Here, it's almost making the, the, the Israelites look cowardice. Run away! But as they run away, we see that that was the, the beginning of their end for the men of Ai. We see the diversity of God's methods. We remember that he is a very personal God. 
not only is he looking at the big picture of the nation of Israel, he's looking at the individual men. And how is he going to build up the individuals while he brings victory to the masses? He's a very personal God. As much as there's a country and a, a nation, a state, a world of people, you are still in the forefront of his mind as an individual. He still thinks and considers you. And as he rules and reigns over this entire world, he thinks, what's best for you? How is he going to minister to you as well as everyone else? So the men of Ai run out. The city is emptied. Well, what's next? Well, we see the city captured. Verses 18 to 20. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand towards the city. So those in ambush, they rose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand. They entered the city and they took it. And they hurried to set it on fire. I love that sentence. They hurried to set it on fire. They didn't just casually walk in and go, yeah, it looks like we win. Yeah, it's all right. They hurried in there to claim their prize. They burnt it to the ground. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled into the wilderness, they turned back on their pursuers. Conscious that the battle was the Lord's, Joshua waited for instruction. And God told him to lift up his spear towards the city. And there was a signal to the other troops, those 30,000 mighty men of valor that were lying in wait, that were hiding, that was their signal to enter into the city and burn it. The men of Ai and Bethel, they were trapped between two armies. It was a simple matter, matter for the army of Israel. The, the men that Joshua was leading and, and they were running away, it was a simple matter of them turning around and running towards the men. Joshua held up his spear until the victory was completely won. An action that reminds us of the battle that Joshua fought against Amalek in Exodus 17. In that battle, Moses was up on the canyon wall and Joshua was down in the battle fighting the Amalekites. And as long as Moses' arms were uplifted... The Israelites, they would have victory. But as soon as they would drop, as soon as his arms would fall, the Amalekites, they would start to win. So in that story, the, the priests, they ended up putting rocks up under Moses' arms to keep his arms up. And here it's a remembrance of that as that spear was lifted up until defeat, until the defeat of, the, of Ai and victory was secured for the Israelites. Verses 21 to 23. Now when Joshua and all of Israel saw, that the, saw the ambush had taken the city and that smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and they struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them. So they were caught in the midst of Israel. Some on this side, some on that side, and they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But... The king of Ai, they took alive and they brought him to Joshua. So them, they saw the smoke, they turned, and now you have this sandwich of the men of Ai and Bethel. After the Jewish soldiers that were in the city left, they joined the main battle. And the enemy was caught right in between these two armies. 
And once the army was annihilated, the rest of the population of the city was also destroyed. Remember, the Lord said at the beginning, what you did to Jericho, you're going to do here. You're going to utterly destroy the man, woman, everything. You're going to burn the city to the ground. Now keep in mind, this was not the slaughter of innocent people. This was the judgment of God on an evil society that had resisted his grace and his truth. For a long time, they completely resisted the Lord. And the Lord had given them opportunity. And now the Lord said, judgment comes, and they're done. Verse 24 says this, When it came to pass, when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field and in the wilderness where they pursued them, when they had all fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai, struck down with the edge of the sword. Verse 25. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000. All the people of Ai. 12,000. Not 12,000 senseless murders, useless killings. 12,000 acts of judgment by a divinely righteous and loving and true God. Verse 26, For Joshua had not drawn back his sword, or drawn back his hand, with which he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. So they kept the king. We're going to see later that, we'll get to there in a second, that they're going to deal with the king separately. But before that, in verse 27, it says, Only the livestock and the spoil of the city Israel took as booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded them. Once again, think of Achan. Wait two days and look what you get. An entire city of plunder. Instead, he tasted death. Since the first fruits of the spoils of war in Canaan, they had already been given to the Lord at Jericho, he permitted the army to take the spoils at Ai. At Jericho, the victory was theirs because of a miracle of God. God caused the walls to fall down. Here, this victory was done at the work of their hand. The Israelites were the ones drawing their swords and cutting down the men of Ai, destroying the men of Bethel and the, and the inhabitants of the city. So the Lord said, you did the work, you get the reward. You were obedient, here you go. So Joshua burned Ai and made a heap forever, a desolation to this day. Verse 29, we're gonna, this will be the last verse we do tonight. I have a few more things to unpack, but we won't finish the rest of the chapter. Verse 29, And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that he should take down his corpse from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise over a great heap of stones that remains there this day. So the, this killing of the king, it was a symbolic, it was the final symbolic gesture of a complete victory for Israel. The king had no army. He had no subjects. He had no city, for the Lord destroyed them all. It was a total victory on the part of Israel. The body of the king was buried under stones at the entrance of the gate of ruin that had once been at the city of Ai. 
The previous heap, a heap of stones in verse 7, or sorry, chapter 7, it was a memorial to Achan who had caused the defeat at Ai. But this heap of stones here in chapter 8, it was a memorial of the victory of the Lord over the enemy. And by obeying the word of the Lord, they were able to once again find rest in God's victory. Another time when I, when, when I teach again, we'll finish the chapter and then start into chapter 9. But up until this point, we, we see an illustration of the, the entire history of the Israelites, of what they have done, what they're going to do, but more so we see a history of the life of a believer. I think many of us can understand this, this sequence. I know I have. Maybe in your life this, you've experienced this as well, that your obedience has been followed by victory. Victory leads to blessing. Blessing will lead to pride and disobedience. Disobedience will lead to defeat. Defeat would be followed then by judgment. Judgment by repentance. Repentance followed by obedience. And then once again, obedience followed by victory. And that cycle continues. We are no longer fighting for victory. We are finding that we have rest in God's victory. And I'm, I'm going to take it even beyond this. Let's go New Testament. Let's go what's happening now. What's the final victory? Well, the final victory is Jesus died on the cross. Because of the death on the cross, you and I have eternal life with him forever. That's the final victory. And we can have rest we can find rest in his victory by finding ourselves in him, in Jesus Christ. Well, you say, how do I do that? I don't even know what that means. It means you acknowledge him as Lord of your life. It means you repent. You ask for forgiveness for the sins that you have committed. You say, Jesus, will you please come into my heart? Will you lead me? Will you guide me? Will you help me to be obedient? And as you do that, you will find rest. There is a rest for those who are in Christ Jesus. Go read Hebrews 4. There's a rest for us. There's a spiritual rest. There's a physical rest. I don't know about you, but this last year has been pretty exhausting. And I think we all need to be reminded that we can experience rest in one place. And that one place is Jesus Christ. That one place can be found in identifying ourselves as, as His. He gave you His life. Give Him yours and experience that rest. Father God, I am so thankful, Jesus, for this night.